reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. One of Sandra and I's hobbies is to have a greenhouse. We like to grow food and herbs, things that you can eat, you know, things that are useful. And usually we grow stuff in there. This year it's dilapidated and full of weeds because we've been so busy. But when we do grow in there, which we started, I don't remember how many years. We built it and started years ago. And uh, the conversation has evolved. It used to be we would have a pre-planting conversation where we would try to think of exciting and fun things to grow. And that's how we would make our decisions like, okay, we'll plant some of that. And as the years went on, we found out that some things take up a tremendous amount of space, like zucchini or something. And we get these little zucchinis that are about the size of a sandwich, uh, a pickle you'd have with a sandwich. And so our conversation has evolved to where now we say, we realize it's a tiny little greenhouse. And we've evolved to where we now go, so what has given us a tremendous harvest? And it's worth the soil space in our little bitty greenhouse bins. Like one year, I guess this was actually last year, we got a basil harvest that was so ridiculous. We made jars and jars of basil pesto and froze them and we ate pesto all year. So there will always be basil in there, at least when we plant. But... That story just kind of leads us into um, where we're going to go today. You'll remember last week we began our journey of going in to occupy the promised land. And that's what we're going to do. We're going with Joshua. We started with Joshua last week. And part of what we looked at was Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 5. He said, arise and go. So rise up to this calling I have for you, and it's time. So therefore, go. Go start conquering the land that I give to you. And then he goes on and says, no man shall be able to stand before you. There's a promise. And he says, only be strong and very courageous. Why? So that you can fulfill all the law, right? Which for us is everything the Holy Spirit writes on your heart. That's the law for you. Do you want to fulfill everything the Holy Spirit writes on your heart? Then only be strong and courageous. Be of that kind of faith. And then he says, don't turn to the right or the left. And then he gives us the heart of the Father that you may prosper wherever you go. In other words, that you may produce spiritual fruit of the kind that was planned for you wherever you go. Is that the good news of the kingdom? That's pretty much everything, isn't it? That's the reason Jesus paid that price and did everything he's done for us. This week and next week, we're going to do two foundational things that kind of build on each other. I believe the Lord wants to renovate our understanding of reality a little bit so that as we move forward on this journey with Joshua, mirroring what God wants to do in your life, we're actually going to have a very accurate sense of this reality that surrounds us. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Now here we're going to look at the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now I want to point something out to you. And you'll remember this. Those of you that have been studying through the feast with us, it's significant that it's wheat, right? You'll remember that first fruit started with the barley harvest and it goes through their agricultural seasons. It concludes at the wheat harvest. 
We talked at length a while back that the wheat represents the fine bread, the good stuff, the truth of God as you're moving into maturity is the wheat. And for those of you, just in case, we'll point out that the tares, of course, literally are weeds, but it's anything that is antagonistic to God's purposes in the kingdom. And since God's kingdom is in you, it's anything that is antagonistic to God's purposes in you. You coming into your destiny in Jesus Christ. Okay, let's start in verse 24. And Jesus is giving a parable of the kingdom. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But when men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now let's talk about this for a minute. God wants to give us an accurate understanding of our reality. And whenever Jesus begins and he says the kingdom of heaven is like, I want you to see something. He's talking about this age. He's trying to give you a description, a picture of reality as it actually is so you see it as it actually is. Okay? The kingdom is now. It is within you. And he's trying to give you a picture of reality. And so here he says, It's like a man who sowed good seed. That's purposeful. It's a purposeful thing to sow. And you do it because you have a purpose in mind. You have a goal in mind. And you are that good seed in this parable. Okay? You are the good seed. But now listen. He also wants you to know that while men slept. Now that's a whole message of its own. We're really not going to go there this morning. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. He also wants you to know that you have an enemy. And he's also purposeful. It's purposeful to sow. The enemy purposely comes and purposely sows in the same field. Purposely sows all that is antagonistic to his kingdom, which is in you. And so he purposely sows against your purpose is what God has planned for you. If that's true, is it important that we see reality from that accurate lens? So he goes on. Now there's more. There's gold here. Listen. He goes on and it says, But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? Now look what the people do. Automatically, in the story, he's talking about reality. This is what goes on right now. The first thing that we do is question his goodness and his capability to work out his plans in our life. Do you see that? The tares sprout up and they go, didn't you sow good seed? They question the master, the owner of the field. They question him. And then in verse 28, goes on his And he said to them, now this is his answer. Listen, he's like, no. He's saying, look, have a clear view of reality. So he says to them, an enemy has done this. That's a simple sentence. And that's what he wants us to see about reality. Last week we talked about his will for you is good. He means for you to prosper wherever you go, wherever the soles of your feet tread. That's his will for you. An enemy sows the tares. Okay? So the servant said to him, this is in verse 28, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. 
This is a description of our age. It's so important to see the world this way because this is actually reality. (laughs) There is an enemy that purposely sows against God's purposes in your life and he has commanded, he has purposely established that the tares not be uprooted right now. And you also see his heart here, that it's good for you. Why does he not uproot the tares? It's for your own good. He doesn't want his purposes in you to be uprooted. He's absolutely confident that he can bring about his purposes in you even in the midst of the tares, right? And he concludes this description of your current reality by saying, let both grow together until the time of the harvest. There's the goal. You are becoming to maturity, full maturity for harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. There's the test of fire. But gather the wheat into my barn. You see how important it is if we're going to move forward with Joshua and conquer the land, which I firmly believe that is what God is about to do in our lives. You're going to take new territory that you've not had before. Or we wouldn't be doing this. (laughs) We'd be doing something else then you have to have an accurate view of reality. You have to understand that he is sowing in your life, an enemy is sowing against it, and he's perfectly capable to get you into the purposes in your life, despite the fact that there are hurricane-sized storms attacking your family. Or that thing that you struggle with inside of yourself doesn't scare God. And he says to you, only be strong and very courageous so that you can accomplish all the Holy Spirit writes on your heart. You understand the only difference between the kingdom now and when Jesus comes back in the Feast of Trumpets is that he's not removed the tares yet. He said it was finished. It is spiritually finished. And he withholds no spiritual blessing from you. Now the natural has not been made to bow its knee once and for all. The tares are still allowed to be there. The day is coming when the natural will perfectly align with God's will as it is now in the spiritual. You see that? That's the difference between now, we have to get away from seeing the kingdom as if we're still waiting for it or as if we lacked something. Because Jesus made it so that in the spiritual, we lack nothing when you're in the will of God. Okay, if you think that's good, it gets better. Next, we're going to look at some of Jesus' words about describing how this works or what his plans are. Okay, And it's so important that we understand the context of the primary scripture that we're going to look at that I'm going to take a little bit of time to make sure that we really establish a context. Okay, And actually, for note-takers, I want you to know this. I noticed something that I didn't even know God was having me do. And when I noticed it, it was obvious for months, we've basically been moving forward in Matthew chapter 9 through Matthew chapter 11. I didn't even realize I was doing that, but if you're a note taker and you love to go back and dig, just go back and read all three chapters and you'll see that it's all that we've been doing. It'll be really fruitful. But here in Matthew chapter 11 and start in verse 1, and remember, we're just building context, okay? So in other words, we're setting the stage for what is happening in the narrative for what we're going to look at. And here, this is when Jesus sends out the twelve, in his twelve disciples, to go minister, to proclaim the kingdom. He is sending them out without him being right there, taking the lead at every moment. 
Okay? And I want you to see what he says and how he does it when he sends them out. It's very important for the context. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So you just heard what he gave them. What did he give them before he sends them or you or anyone anywhere? What does he give you? Power. And it's a very specific power. It's the power of the kingdom. It's the will of the throne room. That's what he fills you with the ability in the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish it. So that's what he just did before he sends them out. And then skip to verse 5 with me and I want you to see here's his command. This is how he commands them. He says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now just for a second, right there, why would he say this is what you're supposed to preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because it is. <laughs> he just filled them with it. That's the message that he wants to go out. And he just put it in them. So obviously they would go out and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the other version say, upon you. And then he goes on. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's his command. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. You see, that is the kingdom. Other places it says, when you see these things, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. That's our context. You have to remember, it's going to kind of be hard to keep that. But you have to remember, this is the narrative moving forward in what we're going to look at next. Do you want to see the kingdom the way Jesus sees it? Reality the way Jesus sees it? Okay. For the rest of the morning, we're going to begin to look at things, reality, as Jesus sees it. So, in Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. In other words, he split. <laughs> They're filled with the kingdom. They've got their mission. They're, they can do their mission in the power of the Spirit. And in verse 2 it says, now listen, when John heard in prison, we're talking about John the Baptist. When he heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, now listen, is John a guy of little faith? <laughs> the one who baptized Jesus? The one who had the prophetic utterance to say, this is the one whose feet I can't even, I can't even touch his shoes because I baptize with water and he's going to baptize with fire. The power of the Spirit. He's not a man of little faith. So why is he sending with this question? Saying, are you the one or is there someone else? I'm going to tell you, it's really simple and it's right in the text here. It's because he's in prison. It's because he's not getting the privilege of seeing what's going on. He's not participating. He's not getting to hear and see the things of the kingdom. And so, and he's been in prison, and so he says, I need to know what's going on. Is he the Christ? I'm hearing rumors, and that's about what I'm getting. Jesus' reply to John the Baptist gives us such incredible insight, we need to pause and pay attention to it. So this is in verse 4. Go back. And report to John what you hear and see. You see, he didn't say, yep, go tell him yep. 
He didn't say that. He said, go tell them what you hear and see. Why would he answer that way? You see, what he says next tells us, he says in verse 5, in other words, he says, give them this report, because this is what you're hearing and seeing. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You see, his answer, when he says, go, go tell John, go tell him that you see the will of heaven happening on the earth. Go tell him that you see the kingdom happening. And he knows that for John the Baptist, that will answer his question better than yet. Now, that leads us to how he describes the current generation. And I want to tell you, the spirit is still true in our generation. You'll see it as soon as we read it. He wants to tell us, in light of that reality, how are the people reacting? How do the people see reality? And so in Matthew, we'll go down to verse 16. Matthew 11, verse 16. He begins to describe the perception of the people and says, to what can I compare this generation? He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. In other words, what's being prompted by the reality that they see and hear. What's being prompted by reality, they're not responding to appropriately. Not at all. The flute should make you dance and a dirge should make you mourn. If that's the atmosphere reality is creating, the truth that reality is creating, and here is a people that don't respond to reality appropriately at all. So we want to be a people that respond to reality appropriately, right? Because we have purposes that God is trying to work out in our lives, and we are going to participate in those as we conquer the land, right? Okay, in that case, we're going to need to understand a very important thing about our current reality that Jesus wants you to know. We're going to look at fruit, okay? And that you understand, whenever you read in the Scriptures and you see fruit, whether it's um, talking about the vine, or whether it's talking about figs, or things that are mentioned in parables or in the narrative. It's a description or prophesying about the time when he has fulfilled all that's required for the church. It's the season of fruit. The church age, after the Spirit's given. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Anytime you see that. And anytime you hear a parable of the kingdom, he's talking about this present age. The fact that he brought the kingdom. He's describing this age. Okay. There are two places where Jesus talks about the fig tree. And it's absolutely a description of his plan for purposes, not only generally, but purposes in you. His purpose for you to be a participant in the bearing of fruit in the kingdom. So one of them is in a narrative and another one is he tells in a parable. We're going to look at both and it's really cool. So go with me to Mark 11, verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, so let me give you the context. This is about two days before Jesus enters Jerusalem as the lamb without blemish to kick off the Passover party. That's the setting. For two days before. So he is just about to begin fulfilling the feast. Okay? That says they're leaving Bethany. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. 
Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Isn't that a strange one? You kind of want to go, Ooh, somebody's cranky. (laughs) Probably somebody should have had another cup of coffee this morning. (laughs) But he's actually acting prophetically. Let's take a look at this. And this is a frustrating scripture a little bit because it's one of those, there are actually places in the Bible that are not translated the best. And you have to research and dig pretty hard to find out how does that even make sense. So, first of all, where it says that because it was not the season for figs, when you research this, what that actually means is it's not the season for the harvest of figs. Okay? It's not that Jesus is an idiot. It's not that he's looking on a tree for figs at a time when there shouldn't be any figs on the tree. There should be. They just shouldn't be ripe for harvest yet. That's what's going on there. But here's what's important. So look, he's hungry. And he goes to a tree that has leaves because he's looking for something to eat. Go ahead and put up that picture of the new figs. Now here's what I want to show. This is a fig tree in the early spring. And you can see the little green balls, those are the figs. And the leaves, those are brand new leaves. They actually open up to these really big leaves. So those are brand new sprouts. So what you notice from this is that the leaves and the figs actually appear at the same time on fig trees. So in other words, if a tree has leaves, it's advertising. I'm an alive tree. I have fruit. Or if I'm a good tree, bearing tree, (laughs) I have fruit. And so what Jesus has just encountered is the case of false advertising. It's always frustrating, isn't it? He's gone up to a tree that's supposed to have fruit, and it doesn't. And he's particularly harsh, is he not? He basically says, curse you. You'll never produce fruit again. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So he's obviously teaching, he's prophesying, something about a coming time, which is now. And I want you to know what he did next. You know, he goes straight from that fig tree and he goes down into the temple. And this is the famous story where he begins to kick over the money changers' tables and says, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And you'll understand that the temple was the place of God's glory. It was the place of fruit, right? Where's the place of glory and fruit now? Yeah, you. It's still the temple and you're the temple. Not a coincidence that the narrative is moving like this and he goes straight down to kick out the ones that are advertising, come to the temple. This is the place of the glory of God, the place of fruit. And they're showing up to a den of robbers. Now go down to um, verse 20 with me. Still in Mark 11, verse 20. He says, in the morning. That means the next day, okay? In the morning. As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now I want you to notice something. He didn't ask a question. He didn't give a commentary. (laughs) All he did was observe something and say it to Jesus. He observed the tree. He says, look, it's withered. Now listen to Jesus' response. In verse 22, Jesus says, Have faith in God. Isn't he a strange one? (laughs) What does that have to do with the tree? 
says, Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. That's what he says in response to Peter seeing the withered tree. He's telling us two things, right? The first thing he's telling us is that when you advertise fruit or you're the tree that's supposed to bear fruit and you're not, there's a faith problem. That's the first thing. He's also telling us God's will is that you would be bearing that fruit. You're not not bearing fruit because it's not God's will. We also see that there, don't we? Now look, it's not his idea that he wants you to cast Pike's Peak into the Atlantic Ocean, right? He's doing this, it's, it's a magnitude. He wants you to understand magnitude. He really badly wants you to understand that. That's why he goes to such great extent. He wants you to know that you have to remember our context. Everything we've talked about are the fruits of the kingdom, the will of God, freeing people, opening eyes, allowing people to walk who can't. The will of the kingdom is the context. And so when you're in the will, he wants you to know that there is nothing, just like Joshua, there's no man that can stand in your way. And there's no limit to what God will give you to accomplish the will when it's his. Okay? There are prosperity gospels going around these days that the scriptures just like this where they go, boy, if I just believe I'm going to win the lottery, I'll have it. <laughs> you haven't been healed because you don't have enough faith. You know, spiritual abuse and things happen from places like this. That's not the context here. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about his heart that he wants you to prosper spiritually wherever you go. Yes, that will come into your natural. I believe that. I don't believe he means for us to be poor or sick. He has good will. And yes, it will come into the natural. But we seek the kingdom of God first. The blessing of God comes as we seek what? The kingdom. And then you can throw mountains into the sea. If God says, I want you to throw a mountain into the sea, believe that you can and you will. That'd be something to see. Okay. One more parable. This is another place where he talks about a fig tree. And this is just going to complete. You're going to see that Jesus really does want you to have an accurate view of reality so that you can be an occupier of the land. So go with me to Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. This is a parable of the kingdom. You're going to see that he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like type of word. So what does that mean? Talking about us. It's talking. It's a description of reality in our current age. So in verse 6 it says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> in other words, the last thing that we read was Jesus actually acting out in a prophesying life. He was acting out the same truth that we see that he tells in this parable. Went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. In verse 7, so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, the steward of the land, in other words, right? For three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. 
cut it down. Why should it use up soil? That's pretty harsh. But you see, he's the master of the vineyard. He planted that tree <laughs> for a purpose. You don't plant a fig tree not for the purpose of, I'm going to get some figs. You sow crops. It's purposeful. And then listen what the steward says. In verse 8, he says, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now there's a whole study there if you want to have fun. There's a reason there's the master looks for three years and then the steward of the land says, one more season. One more age. Let me work with it. And we'll see if it'll bear fruit. Those numbers and things are very prophetic. There's a lot of insight there. But for this morning, I want you to see the bottom line here. The tree fulfilling its purpose, producing the fruit it was planted for, is the final test of that tree's destiny. Did you hear that? The tree fulfilling its purpose Producing the fruit it was planted for, it was put in the vineyard for, is the final test of its destiny. Even the steward agreed. If it doesn't produce fruit in this final age, cut it down. Then do it. I'm going to show you what happens next in the narrative here because I want you to really begin to see something that the order that things are laid out in the Word of God is not random. So like in verse 10, it starts and says, on a Sabbath. Not the next Sabbath, or it just says on a Sabbath, which gives you the impression that, okay, well, all right, we're on to a new story now. But I want to show you something. It says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Now, I want you to notice the words here. Please do this with me. It says, crippled by a spirit. That's what the words say. There are other places where it talks about places where Jesus healed and the person was crippled from birth or it might have been blind from birth. So there is that too. But I want you to see it. It actually says crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And then it says she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. She arose and she went to praise God. Now I want you to see that's the fruit of the kingdom, right? It begins in our context. It ends in our context. His plan is that you prosper in ways that blow your mind in the Spirit for the rest of your life. That's what He has planned for you. That's where He wants to take you. He wants you to be a people in the Spirit that are fulfilling your purposes. Occupiers of the land. Fruitful in every good work. See, that this is reality. Jesus, in all of these words, has painted your reality. The world wants you to see things inaccurately all the time. Jesus wants you to see accurately so that you can participate with Him in your destiny. Is there anything else that matters? So we'll just wrap up with a little summary. Because look, I told you, what's cool is, what we just did was we looked at Jesus' descriptions kind of in a universal, current age perspective of what is our reality right now. That's what we just did. Next week, we're going to look at what He and the Word of God says about you 
as an individually planned person that he wants to put in that reality. Your destiny individually. That's what we're going to look at next week. So this begins to build on each other. And after we do these two weeks, we're going to begin to look at, do you realize there are practical things in the Spirit? There is actually a way that it works. And actually things that he told us about the power of the Spirit and his plans in the kingdom, his plans in your life, and how all of that works. But we have to have an accurate view of reality first. We just got a general one. I'm going to give you a summary of what we just did. Because it's so important you just have a real clarity. Okay? So what we just did was we noticed that Jesus wants us to know that we live in an age where, first of all, the kingdom is here. It's finished. But we also saw that he has not removed the tares. And he has not removed them even for your own good. That's number one. Number two is, it is his will that during this age, we are producing fruit. And coming up, we're going to look at that we are producing fruit in due season according to its own kind. According to the kind that He planned for you. He means for you to be fulfilled and have the joy of fulfilling your identity. To have victory. To be an occupier of the land. To prosper in this place. That's number two. And the third thing is, and this is the spanking part, I guess, we have a very serious God is for real. There is a judgment against the lack of fruit. He is particularly harsh against false advertising. It's all through the Scriptures. There is a very real judgment on them. That's our current reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us, that we are Your treasure. I thank You that I am Your treasure. I thank You that You have plans We thank You that we need not fear because You love us. That You are faithful to work out Your plans in us. That it's not up to us to work hard to make any of this happen or to align into Your kingdom. I thank You that You are going to do it because You are the one that is faithful. Not us. We thank You that You mean for us to bear fruit and we want to join You in Your kingdom purposes. We want to know the joy of You producing Your fruit through us. We want to participate in that, Lord. Fill us for this and continue to teach us how we shall conquer and occupy the land for Your glory. And we love You, Jesus. Amen. See, the good news is we don't produce this fruit or move into this destiny in our own strength. (laughs) It is His faithfulness that is going to get this done. He who started a good work in you is going to finish it. And that's the good news.